Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Beware of false knowledge. It is more dangerous than ignorance. Within seconds, the nose of the canoe hung up on a boulder, trapping the boat. That was a stupid mistake, and we almost uh, lost our lives due to it. Tumbling over and over again against rocks and logs, he was unable to fight the powerful hydraulic and started to drown. His fight was over. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Survival Show, podcast number one. With David and me, this is Craig, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. So, David, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, my friend Craig, and had a great workout today. I'm just saying that because you said that in Podcast Zero, which was awesome. And I did have a great workout today. Ben, are you there with us today? I'm here and excited. (laughs) Producer Ben. Man, when you come on, you come on for real. (laughs) I'm the real deal, man. Producer always gets the best microphone. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. I just noticed. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So in Podcast Zero, guys, if this is your first time tuning in, Craig and I went and we talked about the backstory of this podcast, let you in on a little bit of the backstory of our lives, and we tried to let you know where we're going with this podcast so you can track along with us and be part of the community. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I thought Podcast Zero went very well, and uh, I'm pretty pleased at how it turned out, so I hope everybody else is too. Speaking of that, uh, how about before we get too deep into what we're going to do today, Uh, How about you tell everybody how we can all get the most out of this podcast? Sure, man. So to get the most out of this podcast, I suggest that you guys subscribe to get the show notes, which include the tips, tactics, skills, action steps, and any checklists or gear that we discuss on the show. To subscribe, use the link in the description of this podcast. And I would also like to add, if you want to gain access to exclusive content, some fantastic rewards, and ways to get involved with The Survival Show, check us out on Patreon. That's Patreon, The Survival Show. Now, I'm excited. In today's podcast, what do we have coming up, David? Okay, so coming up, we have our Break It Down section, and that's basically a story of a real-life survival or wilderness crisis. We're going to have a discussion on, before you go. And what we're going to cover there is preparation and crisis prevention. You guys are going to see how important that is and how that can keep you out of a vast majority of issues that you might otherwise potentially get into. Yeah. Let let me jump in there real quick. I just want to make sure everybody understands what David's talking about is probably from my perspective, the most important thing that, that we could share with you is what you need to do before you go so that you can avoid these problems that so many other people have. We want to be real proactive with what we're doing and what we're assisting you all with. We don't want to be reactive. And so a podcast like this is the thing to help you get outside more and more without actually running into trouble down the road. And I'm just going to throw this in here. Something Benjamin Franklin said, or is at least attributed to, is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Oh, yeah. So we're going to show you how to keep yourself away from the the cliff, basically. Right. That sounds good. 
And then we're going to have a mailbag segment, Craig. That's where we take a look at your questions. And I think we've got a good one queued up that goes right along with uh, prevention and crisis, crisis prevention and preparation. So as far as our story today, you want to share that with everybody? So let's jump in and deconstruct a real-life story, take a look at what was done wrong and right, and unlock its life-changing lessons. It's time for us to break it down. On a cold and rainy spring day, two friends paddled down the Rock Castle River near Mount Vernon, Kentucky. After years of experience together, going on trips like this dozens of times, they took pride in running rivers and creeks with dangerous boulders and challenging rapids. The Rock Castle River is mostly a docile, meandering waterway with miles of flat water and plenty of smallmouth bass for the taking. However, once the narrows are reached, Challenging rapids are on tap for miles before the rock castle dumps into a placid man-made lake. These short waterways are always good to teach a person how to humble themselves, and this river was determined to do that in a special way. As soon as the paddlers started going at the rapids, they took on water multiple times and had to jump ship, bail out water, and recover gear that was continually getting washed out of the open deck canoe. They finally had enough for the day decided to pull over for the night, catch a few fish, eat dinner, relax, and hit the big rapids the following day. They had run this river before and figured they knew what to expect. Forgetting about the day behind and unconcerned about the day ahead, the two caught a few fish in an eddy just below the big falls for dinner and retired for the night. They arose to a brisk, cold new day. Unconcerned, they put on their still wet clothes and their moderately helpful polar fleece jackets. Committed not to dump the canoe today, they proceeded. It was cold and they wanted to get home, so they skipped the normal scouting of the rapids ahead, deciding to just go for it. Within seconds, the nose of the canoe hung up on a boulder, trapping the boat. Powerful, rushing water folded the canoe in half dumping the paddlers into the water. One swam to safety on the left side of the river. The other, who was in the front of the canoe, got dumped out and sucked down into the turbulent water. Tumbling over and over again against rocks and logs, he was unable to fight the powerful hydraulic and started to drown. His fight was over and his body relaxed. Suddenly, due to simple physics or possibly divine intervention, he was released from the grip of the water and floated to the top. Gaining consciousness, he threw himself on a rock to expel water from his lungs. Gathering his wits, he saw his friend who was safe on the other side, but their canoe and gear was not. Wrapped around a rock in the middle of the river was their now tightly bound gear firmly secured to the mangled canoe. The two had only one choice, self-rescue, which meant hiking several miles through the frigid wilderness in wet clothes with no gear. With much against them and many mistakes behind, they made it to help and lived to canoe another day. So Craig, after hearing the story, what are some of your thoughts on pre-planning? Well, there's a lot of things from this story that come up. The big one that comes out to me is that these guys had dressed appropriately for the temperatures that they were going to be experiencing, uh, meaning that they had some power fleece on and for that time of the year and where they were located, that was going to help keep them warm, even if they did get wet. Why polar fleece is, is advantageous versus what? Uh, polar fleece is still going to insulate you even though it's wet. It's going to only be around the 60 to 70% effectiveness as it was when it was dry, but 
it still does continue to insulate you just like wool does, for example, what I'm saying. But there's some, you know, there's some other products that they could have had that uh, would have helped tremendously, maybe a different type of insulation that was even better. But uh, at least soaking wet with power fleece on, they were, they were much better uh, prepared to be able to at least retain as much body heat as they possibly could in those situations. So what, what is polar fleece? better than that's what i'm kind of getting to oh cotton without a doubt you'll see most people that are that go in the outdoors they're wearing their favorite cotton t-shirt or maybe uh, a long sleeve t-shirt and, and a cotton jacket that maybe even looks like an outdoor jacket uh, maybe it looks like it has some sort of a thermal insulator on it but more often than not you've got to look at the materials of the clothes that you're wearing make sure that they're not cotton cotton is notoriously bad for holding moisture against your body and moisture against your body is the thing that cools it down due to heat conduction. So anytime that you can wear something that's going to pull the moisture away from your body, the much, much better you're going to be. That's an excellent point. And the reason there's a lot of detail to this story is because this story actually happened to me and I'm, I'm paddler number two. I'm the one that got sucked into the hydraulic. Uh, this is a real life story. This is not a made up story. This actually happened to me. Those, those jackets were lifesavers. They were without a doubt lifesavers. We had life jackets on too, obviously over top of our power fleece. And so that helped to maintain some of our, at least some of our heat too, to help keep the heat to our core. It's like wearing an insulated jacket to a degree. And that was very advantageous to the situation that we found ourselves in. Do you want to talk a little bit about the critical rule of threes? That was the first thing I noticed when I saw this story, or did you want to take a look at that in, in a little bit? Because there are a couple of things here that, that uh, may be good signposts to have pointed these guys that maybe they weren't uh, quite as prepared as they thought they were, <laughs> these guys. Now, you're, you're dead on as far as considering critical rule of threes. Here's some more of the backstory that goes along with this with this situation is that it had been raining incredibly hard the day that we actually put onto the river. That was anomaly number one. Number two was it was colder than normal. And then uh, lastly, we had gotten so frustrated with falling out of the boat so many times and picking up our gear and it wasn't going the way we expected it. We were just wore out and were not interested with scouting the rapid. That would be probably anomaly number three, four, and five with the way that day went. Basically, just because we kept pushing to get down the river, uh, we we ignored all those problems. We should have taken plenty of time to scout the rapid. We had actually camped literally right next to it and, and had paid zero attention to what we were going to do the next day. Our thought the night before was that we would scout it the next day when we got up and our minds were fresh and we could make good decisions. Unfortunately, when we got up, we were cold and we had to put clothes on that were wet and that made us even more cold. And so it was just one of those Let's, you know, forget it. Let's just run it. That was a stupid mistake. And, and we almost uh, lost our lives due to it. it. It was a really bad mistake. So, yeah, without a doubt, we had to, the critical rule of three. And that's one of the things I write about in my book. And it came about because of this story uh, is is helping to make decisions under stress and, and uh, to make better decisions under stress. That's for sure. So we covered the critical rule of threes uh, quite a bit in podcast zero. And we're going to we're going to continue to do that because it is probably the one signpost principle that can give you an early warning sign to the fact that you may be coming up, up against something that's beyond your ability or something at least you should stop and take a look at. The critical rule of threes is basically when three strange things get your attention or go wrong. It's good to stop what you're doing, regroup, and reconsider a new plan. And these are usually three anomalies that are outside of the baseline of what you would consider normal. Do you have anything to add to that, Craig? No, man. I think the simplicity of what you just said is is important. 
I think we can we can analyze something like this to death, but I think for everybody listening, that critical rule of three is a simplistic way of looking at any situation. And to go along with it, one of the, the things that pushed us in this story, as well as so many other people that fall victim to problems in the wilderness or even during uh, urban disaster, is... Uh, ego. Ego is a huge killer. Mm-hmm. Ego will get you in trouble a lot. And that part of what got us in trouble was the fact that we had run so many rapids before. We had actually run this rapid before. We had run this river two or three times before this day and we had zero problems. And so we got what I call cocky rather than confident. And that, that led to uh, some serious problems. This probably changed your life, probably changed your attitude towards a few things. Do you want to tell the guys a little bit about how you can leverage I mean, you, like this is bad and it's, I'm being kind of nice here because it's you, <laughs> but you could have died here. I mean, most people don't come out of hydraulics and just get kicked out like that. Tell us a little bit about that experience and, and how that uh, altered what you had, what you've done since then. It changed a lot of things. Just to, to share another inappropriate way that uh, I had done something is that we had recently had our first child. And part of me going on this trip was a way in my mind for me to prove that I was still going to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. And that was an incorrect mindset. I want to be clear on that. Let's get that out of the way first. I think people need to consider that. There's, you know, I heard you say in the last podcast in episode zero that there are seasons in life. I needed to change the season of my life instead of continuing on the one that I'd currently been on. This particular event changed me forever in that regard, uh, in a good way, um, being more focused on things that are more important than running rapids and stuff of that nature. The other thing is definitely I started to recognize that decision-making under stress was something that I needed to work on. There needed to be a way that when things are not going right, we break things down, we systematically look at them and then get through them rather than just, you know, basically screw it, let's do it. And, and just run the rapid because that, that gets so many people in trouble. And this is what I try to tell people all the time is it doesn't mean that I'm never going to run that rapid again. And I have since that time, but I just planned more intelligently to run it the next time. And I didn't do anything it's like, let's just do it kind of attitude. I methodically went through it, ran it, had a good time. It was exciting. It was adventurous. It was adrenaline fueled, but I did it with better planning. And so that just because we want to pre-plan doesn't mean that you have to stop being yourself. You don't have to stop being this person that likes to go on adventure. It just means that you're going to do it more intelligently and, and you're going to come back safer so that you can go and do it again. The other thing that doesn't get shared often enough in this particular story, because I use this story to illustrate a lot of points, is that one of the things that we did as far as pre-planning was concerned is that we actually had a discussion before we started on if we dumped out of the canoe and lost everything, which direction do we go? Do we go to the east side of the river or the west side of the river to get out? And we knew after a certain point that was real clear in the river because it was a it was a 90 degree turn, we went on one side. And so after we dumped and we lost everything and it was basically us and no gear and that was it, we knew where to go to get out. Because this this is a wild scenic river. This is not a river where there's somebody over the hill. Like, there's no help for miles. And so we needed to have a plan, and our plan was we would take a certain side of the river to get out and get back to the vehicle. And that pre-planning literally saved our lives as well, because we knew how to... Uh, go up the hill, get on a trail, take that trail back to where the vehicle was, which was several miles away. That in and of itself, that little bit of pre-planning saved our lives as well. We kind of put that in the worst case 
event essentials. And what you basically did, I know you and I both highly recommend, is to establish a meeting place if you get separated. That's essentially what you did. You said, hey, if we dump, we have to end up on the same side of the river. Right. <laughs> and that's that's where we're going to rally. Yeah. We, you need to have rendezvous points. And, and, and consider it this way. I mean, this is another thing that comes up for even people in an urban situation. Like right now, let's say that it's midday. Um, let's just assume it's midday. You're at work. You're your wife is at work or wherever she might be, or you're wherever you might be during the middle of the day, your kids are at school, and then an earthquake happens or a tornado happens. You and your family should have a rally point, uh, a rendezvous point where you all meet up. And that doesn't mean that the kids leave outside of uh, the authority of those in the school, but but at least you know that, hey, we're going to meet at the house and then we're going to come to the school and get you or what have you, some variation of it. Uh, there needs to be a discussion on rendezvous points and rally points or whatever you might call them. And, and yeah, that's exactly what we did in this case. He ended up actually on one side of the river and I ended up on the other. We could yell at each other across the river and say, because I ended up just by chance, not by design. I ended up on the right side of the river and he had to swim across to me. So that was that was important to be able to get out of there alive. So Craig, that's all really good stuff. Why don't we come up with a list of some essentials that, that the folks listening can just take away sure. out of here? to help them stay away from a crisis to begin with. And I'll start with one. How's that? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The first one that comes to mind is to tell someone else where you're going. Here where we live in a wilderness area, my wife and I go on a lot of a lot of wilderness hikes. And so always, 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 we always text Ben's wife and uh, let her know where we're going and when we expect to be back. Uh, I cannot accent that more for everybody listening. One of the things that is getting ready to happen for me is I'm getting ready to be interviewed on our local news station about outdoor safety and survival and stuff of that nature. And so what I did to help get prepared for that is I, I trained alongside a large number of search and rescue people. And I, and I queried some of the friends of mine in that uh, first responder group and said, what should I say on air to help people? And guess what they said, which is what you just said. Okay. Uh, th- these are people that have to go in and get people that are lost during the busy season here in Kentucky, two or three times a week. The thing that all of the people that I queried said, yeah, tell them, tell somebody where you're going, who you're going with, and when you expect to return. That way, if you don't come back when you're expected to, they can get help to you as soon as possible. That is an absolutely vital thing that everybody should do. And it's so easy to do just like you do. I, I do the same thing. Uh, I just text my wife or text my kids or text a friend if we're all, if me and my wife and kids are going out. And that way, there, there's somebody that has our back, you know, and is taking care of us behind the scenes. And, and that's all good and very, very important. So the next one I have is check the weather before you go. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, checking the weather is one of the things that's small, soft, and missed. There's so many stories. Oh, my goodness. I can tell you two or three stories, but I'll, I'll forego those maybe for a later podcast. But checking the weather and just any more, all it takes is an app on your phone to look at the weather, check it out, check the temperatures. Always take something with you that's going to provide shelter, even if you have to spend the night out. So if I'm going out even for a day hike, like last week I went out for a hike and picked up some American chestnuts and it was just me and my daughter and we were going to go out for two hours, three hours tops, but I had with us what we needed to stay the night. Now it wouldn't have been a comfortable stay. It wouldn't have been great, but it would have been very easy for us to survive out there and and be able to live another day. Uh, And part of that included uh, it wasn't supposed to rain while we were going to be out, but it was supposed to rain that night. So we took the necessary precautions to have something to to keep us dry if we got stuck out that night. And and all that took was 
again, this pre-planning and, and part of that was just looking at the, at the weather app and seeing what the weather was expected to be. And sometimes it's easy, especially in this paddling accident that you had. We, we hike a lot of the same trails and sometimes we get confident. And recently we had a situation where we went out later in the day. We knew darkness was coming in. Clouds have been kind of, it's been overcast lately. So we couldn't really tell what the weather was doing. And we were out, out of a situation where we could actually use our app. And my tendency just naturally is to push it and we'll be fine because I do always carry a little kit with me. This particular time I didn't. I'm like, I'm just going to go lightweight and I've got my knife and, and we'll be fine. Cooler heads prevailed. Karen said, you know, <laughs> it's not looking so good. And we're about three hours from the car. What do you think about us turning around? And, and you know, and when she starts citing things that I've, I've taught her, I, I know not to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's smart. I mean, it's, and, and that's why, you know, we talk about mindset skills, tactics, and gear. Tactics is nothing more in, in definition of the ability for people to work together to come to an, a common end. Uh, I see this all the time because I train people throughout the year. Some of them are really high speed, really good outdoorsmen and women. Others are brand new, having never spent a night outside. And one of the things that comes up over and over and over again with people that have a lot of experience is, they think their way is always the right way uh, because they have the experience and they never take the opportunity to listen to the new guy or the new gal. And a lot of times the new guy or the new gal is the one looking at the situation. And the obvious thing is, is uh, right in front of their face that should be changed. But the experienced person is the one that, as you just said, just wants to push through and, and we'll be all right. Well, maybe, just maybe you won't be all right. And so uh, in this situation described by you, uh, listening to your wife who may not have mm -hmm. as much experience as you or anybody else in your party, um, just listen to them. And that doesn't mean you have to do exactly what they say because sometimes the new person's not right either. But uh, at least the experienced person should listen to that and see uh, if there's some nugget out of it that they can utilize or listen to, and, and I'm glad you did. You want to live to see another day, and you want to have a backup plan. You know, if you're going to go that extra mile, just make sure that you have you have a situation so you don't go that extra mile and never come back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've had the really good fortune in being uh, contracted to train federal first responders. One of the things that keeps coming up is just getting those people prepared for the eventuality that they might not be coming back when expected. So that decision-making process of, hey, we're going we're gonna to hold up. We've got to hold up right here. We can't go further. Uh, one story that I remember coming up is one crew that had gone to Puerto Rico. They, they left out uh, in rental cars, and shortly after they left out from the airport, the road that they drove out on completely got washed away for like two miles. Two miles of the road is gone now, and they're new to the country, they didn't have at that time any real good navigation. Now they do, thanks to us. But one of the things that saved them was the ability to work with the locals, communicate effectively with those around them to take care of their needs and stay out there and, and be okay. But it was because they were talking to others and not just pushing through or being the tough guy that they were able to actually make it and, and stay alive. So back to this weather thing, I think one, one last thing, and, and which is actually your first defense against the weather and I think we would be amiss if we didn't mention this, is to prepare for the climate, the weather, and dress accordingly. And going back to your story, you all did that. We did that, but we definitely could have done it better. We, we were dressed for an occasional dump 
a little splash of water here and there. What we weren't prepared for was several dumps into the water where we were literally just wore out. Um, Sorry, that's probably Appalachian American right there, isn't it? Wore out. Is that a common? No, you're good. You're good. Okay, okay. So our listeners, that means I was really tired. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, so we, we were not prepared for that. We didn't have the right clothing for that. We did not have the right gear for that. Uh, we probably would have been better suited to be in something like a wetsuit for this type of trip that mm-hmm. we took. Yep. And I was just thinking that. So that, in a, you know, and that's a lesson. And, and I'm very thankful, very thankful that we came out of it. And, and like I've said a, a, a bunch of times, that that's, like you mentioned earlier, is one of the things that put me on the path where I am now that I'm a, you know, I've written several books and we're doing a podcast and, and we have these experiences that, that we can learn from some of the mistakes that I've made so that other people can, as you've said, spend more time outside. And one of those is to look at that weather and, and be realistic. We have this thing, humans have this thing that we, that we call normalcy bias, where we normalize situations because we don't like change. And so what we did is we normalized this trip. Yeah, the weather's bad. Yes, it's, it's, it's rainy, it's cold, the water's high. We normalize all, all those things and said to ourselves, yeah, we're going to be okay. That's ego. That's normalcy bias. When you should recognize that you're normalizing a situation that is not normal at all and assess it and make decisions based upon that rather than allowing yourself to be a victim of normalcy bias. That's good. I love these I love these uh, side lessons that you throw in all the time. I've got a million of them, man. Let's keep going. You are a wise man. Let's see what else comes up. <laughs> I've got a <laughs> I had this discussion with a publisher for my my latest book because she's or the editor, she's like, Craig, you've written so many stories about things where you really messed up and you need to put in there where you're more of an expert. Well, it's those mess ups that, that make me who I am. I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but, but it is those situations that allow me to teach others so that we can, you know, we can help people not make those same mistakes. That's for sure. So the next one I have on my list is know your skills. And I think this actually kicks in back into what you just said. Yeah. I mean, it was ego. I mean, and it was ego on the part of the both of us combined as well as as individuals. And I remember so clearly him saying to me, let's just run it. Forget it. I'm cold. Let's go. And I remember thinking, yeah, that sounds good to me because <laughs> we were. I was I was already shaking and we were just going to run. It wasn't that hard. It wasn't that big of a rapid. Mm-hmm. And it just happened the way that we we hit the eddy that the boat got hung up on the rock. That was our egos run amok rather than being kept in check which is where we need to be. Even if he suggested it, I should have stopped him and said no, or vice versa. It, you know, we should have we should have kept our egos in check, that's for sure. So you knew your skills. It was just the egos that got in the way. Sometimes we can have a perception of ourselves that isn't realistic. I think I would throw in here, every once in a while, do an honest assessment of your skills. My best mode of learning is is through failure. Those failures, they keep me in, in a much more humble state. And so I face those sorts of things quite often because I need them. Yeah, well, I think we all do. And I think recognizing failure is 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 a good thing and, and learning from it, obviously, which we talked about in episode zero. Uh, we've got to be able to do that or we're not going to grow in our skill set. There's just no way around it. We've got to continue to grow and, and not let it take us down. That's for sure. And part of knowing your skills is just knowing what your limitations are. We want to encourage you guys to get out. I, for one, and I know you are too, Craig, surrounded by wilderness, but it's important to know your limitations. But when you do go out, it's important to do maybe some small tests, some smaller hikes first. 
because you have to know your fitness level. You have to know your capabilities. You got to know that, hey, I just got these new boots from the store. But for most of us, it takes some time to break those puppies in. And then stay safely within your capabilities. Safely within your capabilities. What do you have to say about that, Craig? Well, one way that I encourage that is I tell people all the time, particularly on sleep gear, if you get a new piece of gear, you want to try something out, then try it out in the backyard first. And that way, if if your sleeping bag or your sleeping pad or the hammock or the tent doesn't work out the way it's supposed to, then you just go in the house, man. Just go on back to the house and go to bed. And that way you're not dead. That's That's a cool thing, not being dead in that situation. Uh, so many people want to just go out and throw themselves to the wolves and, you know, I'm roughing and I'll, I'll rise to the occasion kind of ignorant mindset. And that, that gets people in trouble. So test these gear out. And, and for example, the boots, you know, walk a couple of small hikes. Don't get a new pair of boots and then go hike the Appalachian Trail. I mean, you're going to, it's not going to be cool. It's not going to be a good answer for you. So, um, yeah, I'm all about trying little things before I attempt mm-hmm. those big things. That's really good. Let's take a look at just a couple more real quick here, Craig. Yeah, yeah. Take a paper map. Got that one on my list. What do you think about that? Man, this is a big one. Um, our our third book, I co-authored this one with Tracy Trimble, another instructor with Nature Reliance School. One of the things that we wrote a, we wrote a whole chapter on was technological advances of GPS and apps and stuff of that nature. And they are very advantageous. They're easy to use. They're user-friendly, particularly the apps. But one of the things that keeps coming up in our national wildlands, for example, is, is what park rangers call death by GPS. And that's where people get off the road, fall on TomTom or their Google Maps or something that takes them down the wrong road and, and disaster happens. This has happened countless. Oh, my goodness. It's happened countless times to the point that there's a term for it, this death by GPS. So we are huge fans of telling people to always take a map and compass with them and know how to use them. Uh, If you only take one, then take the map. I have a lot of people that come through our classes that bring their compass. And for some reason, I think most people think that it works like a GPS, like there's some magical way that you can use the compass and it's going to tell you where you need to be. And and yes, it can. However, it takes a considerable amount of education and training and practice to be able to use a compass to triangulate yourself, for example. And um, the better thing to take with you is a map and then orient that map to the earth and know where you are on the map and, and constantly check it, whether it's a paper map or your GPS or whatever it might be. You need to constantly check where you are so that you don't get lost. So one thing I want to just let the guys know is uh, you've got training there at your school. You do a, a land navigation course. And you and I are, are collaborating on several resources, including mm-hmm. uh, some, some coursework. And we have this nifty new guide that we'll talk about at some point here. In order to be able to just simply orient yourself to a map is going to be really important. It's not that difficult, especially uh, we recommend topographic map if you're going out into a wilderness area. To make your map helpful, try to find yourself on that map and regularly check where you are. Just re-emphasizing batteries fade, devices get broken, and GPS signals aren't always there. So uh, taking a paper map is is super important. Something that you mentioned in Podcast Zero, Greg, was drink lots of water. Why did you say that? Well, you never want to get into an event where uh, you need hydration and be dehydrated. You want to start off every hike, every trip, even if it's a day hike to go pick raspberries or whatever it might be. You want to be hydrated when you go out. And in that manner, if something goes awry, let's say, for example, you've got to spend the night out unexpectedly, then you're hydrated. You don't have to find water to, to be able to 
to be a functioning human. So that's what I mean by being hydrated before you go. That's vitally important. So as you're driving into a location, make sure you're drinking some water. And, and that way you're better off if, if you're not, and you, and you start slightly dehydrated and then something goes awry and you've got to spend the night out, then you become a non-functioning human rather quickly. So we, we want to make sure that people are uh, hydrated before they ever head out. The next thing I have on my list is always carry a basic survival kit and maybe even a first aid kit. What do you have to say about that one? Survival kit. It's, it's our middle name, the survival show. So, um, there's, there's a reason that, uh, we feel like we're not doing this just because we think it's cool. We're doing this because we know we want to help people and a survival kit, even if it's a small micro kit or whatever, uh, it has some fundamental supplies, which I'm sure before we get done doing podcasts in our lifetime, we will have incredible amounts of of podcast on gear and how to obtain it and what we like, what we don't like. And, and, uh, so a survival kit's vital. Um, first aid kit is another one of those things that you definitely want to be in a position where you don't want to need it and not have it. You want to have it and not need it kind of thing. That way when bad things happen, you do have something you can utilize. And, and I am a huge fan of trauma kits. They don't weigh that much extra than what you were normally carrying anyway, just a few ounces if you pack properly. But when I say a trauma kit, something like a, a tourniquet and some hemostatic agent, maybe a couple other things if you have training for them. But, but these things are just vital in a serious situation. I say that with all certainty. You don't want to be the person that, that a loved one or somebody you care about or somebody you're hiking with experiences severe problems and and you just have to sit and watch them die. That is not something we want to happen. And something like a, a first aid kit or a trauma medical kit is going to be something that's going to help you with that. So we've talked mostly here, Craig, about preparation and crisis prevention in a wilderness environment. Let's just take a, a quick turn and take a look at a few things that people can do. Because a lot of our listeners are are in urban areas and suburban areas. Do you have some tips that people could take on out of here? if most of their time is spent in uh, a city, town, urban environment? Yeah, two big things um, come to mind. The first is in an urban situation, because we're more than likely considering some sort of disaster-related event, whether it's hurricane or uh, earthquake or something of that nature. The first would be is that you need to have your preparedness, your disaster readiness ready to rock and roll. And that way you can pre-plan, get out early. Like you, we always see these things on TV where people are saying, I'm going to hang out and I'm going to, I'm going to ride it through. You know, that is severely lacking in wisdom. In my opinion, if the federal government is saying, I want everybody to evacuate, then you're more than likely getting ready to get hit. There's nothing in your house that's more important than your life. And so it would be better for you to, to get away from that and specifically do what you can to avoid others. Um, in urban situations, avoiding others, typically others are the ones that cause more problems than anything. Uh, there's opportunistic people, there's opportunistic criminals that will take advantages of any bad situation. And so if you can learn how to avoid them, uh, how to provide for your own security 
learning how to utilize self-defense, whether that's armed or unarmed is up to you and what you think your skill set is. At the very least, you need to be able to learn how to get away from people. Run if you have to, drive your vehicle or whatever it is that you can to, to get away from people whenever you can. And the, the second one that I'm, when I said there were two big things, and this came out of some disaster, again, some disaster readiness training that we did for the federal government, learn how to, and know how to plug the tires on your own vehicle. If you are in the middle of a disaster event, there's more than likely going to be a lot of stuff on the road and due to stress, you're probably going to run right over it and never see it. Uh, you might run over some boards or something like that that has a nail sticking out of it, or you might run into some uh, something that's going to puncture your tire. I can tell you for certainty that that has caused some very serious problems, including and not limited to the death of people in situations because their car's down and now they can't leave because they had a flat tire. So simply knowing how to plug your own tire, get some fix-a-flat or, or plugging it yourself is is something that is a useful skill set and is a very good way to, again, get away from others or get away from the event itself to be able to take care of yourself. Now, do you have any tips for people on self-defense? Because it seems like a reoccurring theme of something happens in an urban environment, you are going to have opportunistic and just frankly bad people that are only going to be considering themselves. Yeah, the uh, and, and I dare say that we're going to end up having a whole podcast on this topic somewhere down the road. We will. But uh, we will. Mm-hmm. but just t- to give a couple of brief points, um, avoidance and awareness are key. Avoid people whenever you can. We just mentioned that. So do whatever you can to avoid situations. And that doesn't mean just simply running away, but know how to avoid. Like there's three main ways that people want to bring physical assault on others. That's uh, ego-based assault, predator-based assault, and assassination. Okay. Ego-based assault are those fights like that occur due to uh, road rage or something of that variation, which is very likely in a disaster event. Predator base is where somebody is seeking you out to bring harm to you. You may know them, you may not know them. An assassination is just somebody that wants to kill you just for the sake of killing you because they've been whatever. Uh, there's not much you can really do uh, against somebody that's going to assassinate you. It, it may sound like it's over the top, but these things happen. And so there's not much you can do, really, except have as good awareness as you can. You can avoid ego-based assaults with avoiding people. And when somebody gets in your face and, and is poking on your chest and all that stuff, learn how to literally get away from them. Walk away. I'm not saying turn your back, but at least get away from them. And then as far as predator-based, uh, the best thing you can do is have good visual and have your awareness up. So at the very least, if you see somebody in your vicinity, particularly somebody that is in in body range that wants to bring harm to you, you're at least positioning yourself to be able to defend yourself. Uh, and how to go about doing that, whether it's armed or unarmed, again, is something we'll cover down the road. But in, in a real general sense, uh, just a review is have avoidance and have awareness strategies because that'll negate more often than not most threats to you. And uh, those are good things to keep in mind before we go into great detail somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. And we will go in more detail down the road. We actually have a, a two-part uh, introductory series on self-defense that, that you and I shot a, a while back. And uh, so at some point, just to emphasize for you guys to go ahead and subscribe to the show notes for this podcast. And we'll put a link in the description below 
And that way, when we're ready to release those videos, you guys will be the oh, first nice. to get them. Hey, and that right there, what you just said, I would just like to say again, producer Ben, who's in the background, who's going to be putting a lot of that stuff together. He doesn't say much on the air. We need to give a big golf clap to uh, producer Ben again, because he's going to make all that stuff available to everybody. And I really appreciate it, Ben. No problem. Always here to serve. What I'd like to do now is dip into the mailbag, because I know our our mailbag question for today is uh, similar to what we've been talking about. So what do you, what do you say we go and take a look at the mailbag? Yeah, man. Sounds good. Let's do it. So today's mailbag is from Craig's insider group of peeps. And the question is talk for a moment about your EDC. Why do you carry and what you carry? Dave, let's start with you. I'm going to buzz through this really quick because my everyday carry is tiered. And what I mean by that is there are things that I always have on me. There are things that I sometimes have on me. Then I have uh, small kits that are pre-packed that go with me depending on the situation I'm going in. Like, for instance, if, I, if I'm if i traveling over to one of the cities, I put in certain kits that I have already pre-made. And if I'm going out into the wilderness, depending on how long I plan on going and, and staying or what we're doing, other kits go in. So my everyday carry is tiered. My first level of everyday carry is uh, my MSK1 mini neck knife. And I've always got that on me. And then my favorite versatile multi-tool of all time is the Leatherman Wave. And that's that's always, always on my belt. The one thing that I, I always carry besides my phone, of course, my phone's part of my everyday carry, but I always have my wallet. So in my wallet, I have, if you guys could see, I have a couple of new items that you guys have probably never seen at this point. And uh, one of them is the tiny survival guide that Craig and I have worked the last four or five months on. And that is a, it's really the first ever comprehensive guide that I've seen that actually fits in a credit card slot in your wallet. Uh, Craig and I are, are kind of blessed because we have a, a pre-published, uh, pre-publication uh, samples and we both have those <laughs> available to us. The next thing that I carry in my wallet for everyday carry is I have a small ferro rod that's just duct taped to one of the folds. And I have a razor blade that's duct taped as a cutting tool on the inside of the wallet. So those are my typical all the time everyday carry items. Besides the clothes that I wear, I wear a paracord belt from Rattler Strap. And uh, if I'm wearing uh, shoes, boots with laces, my laces are, are generally all made out of uh, paracord. I'm going to stop it right there <laughs> because this could go on for a really long time because there's a lot of everyday carry items that I think we both leverage when we need them. Yeah, uh, mine mirrors yours very well, just to be super quick, because I'm sure that we'll have a whole show dedicated EDC somewhere. I have a wallet. I have the same tiny guide because we work so hard on it, and it's fantastic. Uh, uh, I have credit cards, and I also always carry cash. Uh, you never know when cash is going to be needed, and credit cards don't work because of any number of reasons. Uh, I actually fill out the info tab that's inside of my wallet so that if something happens to me, Somebody is able to contact my family to bring closure to them. If I die or I'm sick or unconscious or something, I carry a CRKTM 21 uh, pocket folder. I have a ring on my key ring. I carry an ExoTac ferro rod as well as a rescue, a rescue me device. Rescue me device is good for busting out windows and stuff of that nature. Uh, I carry a self-defense tool, particularly uh, a pistol that works well for me and an extra mag for it. And I also carry a, a soft wide tourniquet 
and hemostatic gauze. And, and I'm always, every single day, I plan my clothing and shoes properly. So that is the stuff that I carry with me every single day. All right, so here's the quote, you guys. I want to leave you with this. Beware of false knowledge. It is more dangerous than ignorance. George Bernard Shaw. Coming up next on the Survival Show podcast, we're going to talk about bugging out with our special guest, Creek Stewart, host of SOS, How to Survive on the Weather Channel, maker of Apaco Box, and the author of many, many books, including Build the Perfect Bug Out Bag, Build the Perfect Bug Out Skills, Build the Perfect Bug Out Vehicle, and his new book, The Non-Con Pack, A Bug Out Bag When Coming Home is No Longer an Option. The dude just does a lot of stuff. And Craig, I couldn't think of a better person to step us through when to bug out, when to stay home, how to do it, and what gear to take along or leave behind in Creek. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, pass it on, and uh, give us a five-star rating if you like this show. And go to patreon.com, The Survival Show, to unlock exclusive subscriber rewards, including additional podcasts, training videos, new resources and gear that Craig and I are working on, and a lot more. You guys are going to love this stuff. That's patreon.com forward slash The Survival Show. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on The Survival Show Podcast. Podcast.